Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at Fintech Futures, and for this episode, we're joined by patented inventor and AI virtuoso, Miguel Navarro. Miguel, how are you? I'm good, Paul. And again, thanks for having me here. That's actually quite amazing because I feel like the last time I saw you, I was winning a award for conversational AI, and I'm absolutely honored that you have me on your podcast. No worries. I guess it's been eight months now since the Banking Tech Awards at USA 2022, which took place in San Francisco. We are about four or five months actually away from the 2023 iteration of the Banking Tech Awards USA, which will be taking place in New York this year. So keep an eye out for that, listeners, if you're interested in attending. Yeah, so Miguel, I guess how's the last eight months and the start of 2023 been treating you? Uh, well, 2023 has been good. You know, as I've been acquired by KeyBank from last time we spoke. I was working in TD. I was the head of voice and emerging platforms. And then in June, KeyBank acquired me and I'm now the SVP for conversational AI enterprise delivery. So that's been fun. There's definitely been a lot of movement there. So I've been very busy, but then also on my personal and some of my side gig life, right? immersing myself in a lot of movement in conversational AI, as we both know, and also keeping myself busy with my two-year-old Aiden, who's the center of my life at the moment. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. On the show, this, we'll be taking a look, as you've touched on there, kind of AI and VR in banking. So we're diving into a number of topics around there, uh, looking at the future of conversational AI and potential use cases for VR and the metaverse, but also as well, the recent explosion in popularity of generative AI services such as ChatGPT, which has been taking up a lot of the headlines recently. So we'll be discussing more as well about what you've been doing in the field. But to start off with, we always start with our news and numbers segments. This is where our guest has gone out and found a news story featuring an interesting number to discuss. So Miguel, what have you brought along for us today? I'll bring in the number four, right? Like for ChatGPT and its future, right, of GPT-4. As we already know, there's been like a lot of news and headlines about like ChatGPT, generative AI, and GPT-4, it being the newest frontier, right? If anything, when it comes to large language modeling, the one item that is pretty neat, and I think, Paul, you and I were having a chat on this on the side, was you shared an article with me. And it definitely focused on a lot of like the rumors between GPT-4 and what it can do and what it can truly do. And I thought it was really neat because again, in my head, I know that there's a lot of rumors circulating around what features, capabilities, and all of that is ahead. But one of like the things that I think stood true, right, was it's the allowing or the allowance of capabilities or future features of being able to do customer service and education. I thought that was really neat because I do think that education is, you can already tell with some of the use cases, right? That's been being used by a lot of the companies is that especially when it comes to conversational AI and generative AI, learning has been like a huge use case. Yeah, I mean, that article I shared with you was from The Verge, but that was discussion with Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, in an interview with Strictly BC, where he's responding to a few of the kind of like timeframe rumors that have been going around. There was the rumor that it's potentially going to be pushing, what was it, 100 trillion, I think, parameters or something as opposed exactly. to 75 billion, which, uh, excuse the language here, but Altman called complete bullshit, apparently, in the interview. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what's your take, I guess, on... I mean, I was going to ask you this a bit later in the interview, but what's your take on how this kind of technology might disrupt financial services and what use cases could potentially be there, I guess, in, in the financial services arena for this kind of tech? 
Yeah, so it's actually really interesting, right? Because just a lot of things are like a lot of information is moving at a very fast speed. So one, like I think the just even the information that goes into GPT-4, the hundred trillion parameters, etc. Either that's a really good defense on his end to then say, oh, it's completely BS, but then really aiming for more. I just thought that as far as I'm concerned, even when a lot of the news has been coming out on this, I was definitely just focused on that, the comparison of the parameters between like GPT-3 and 3.5, right? That was kind of like where my focus was on. But then as you sink into this deeper, it's actually really interesting because if you focus more on the use cases, just like what you were like talking about when it comes to fintech, if you think about every single employee when it comes to fintech or the learning and development that happens within fintech, and I actually wouldn't even just blame fintech on this. I think this is just all across different industries. The education of how they train frontline employees, I think is a little bit outdated. If you think about it, like, I don't know when the last time you've read a brochure, Paul, but I obviously haven't done that in quite a bit. But if you look at the training manuals, if you look at everything else, right, it's just, hey, read this, try to like figure it out, try to understand it. There's not really a lot of immersiveness to it. Doesn't even allow dialogue into it. It's just, here's information that we are giving you, learn the material, and then we'll get you on the phone call or we're going to put you in front of a customer. So, and then you kind of learn your experiences there. I do think that having generative AI or having all of these new large language modeling that's happening for everyone, I do think that it then creates the possibility of creating personalization for that lesson plan. So if you think about how you train people, it's just very generalized and it's just, hey, this is how you're gonna learn. What if it's a person that has English as a second language, right? Obviously, then now you can create a training manual designed for that person who has English as a second language, but really then capitalize on, let's say, I'm Filipino, so the language that I speak is Tagalog. So then if, let's say, the customer base that you have is a strong Tagalog follower, then actually maximize on that employee to give them specific instructions that really navigate towards, okay, the Tagalog-speaking customers create like imagery and all of that with that manual, right? Or uh, whatever asset that they are doing along the way to make sure that, oh, it matched the instructions. And now I'm talking about Dali, et cetera, like creating like generative imagery. But then from there, typically a lot of like lesson planning ends as soon as, you know, like first few days or few weeks happen. But now you can create a continuous process of being able to follow this individual, this employee to their journey within the company. Because then now if this AI can then see, hey, this person is, let's say, lacking a little bit on like the phone skills, I'm going to run a training module on this person. It's going to be a three hour or even like a two day workshop that you get to run with the conversational AI that, that can then teach you about enunciation or pronunciation of proper words or anything like that, or just learning new vocabulary, I think it'll be pretty neat. Obviously, there's a little bit of gamification you can add into that mix. Hmm. But I do think that this is how it's going to change a lot of industries. On the fintech standpoint, if you look at the financial education, right, that happens all across the world, I do think that's where the disruption is going to happen. It's not just on the employee side, but also on the client side of how we expand and explore that education 
when it comes to financial management, just really money in general and creating educated clients and employees. Excellent. And how much has this, I guess, the whole buzz around the generative AI space, is this like impacting your work at the moment? Is there a lot of clambering for this kind of like tech and stuff? Or is, has this been bubbling away in the background in, in financial services for a while now anyway, and it's just coming more to the fore, I guess? Yeah, so it's actually a little bit of both. So I think as you and I know, I've been in the AI space for, I'd say, like a few years now. I would say a lot of like the conversations we even had at the event. I mean, I've been in AI, I'd say about like seven years now. And it's actually really interesting because a lot of people ask me, especially when there is emerging technologies or anything like that, do I believe that X technology, right? Or let's say in this point, AI. So like, let's say five years ago, someone asked me, hey, do you think that AI will be the next thing? My answer was always no. My answer is like, no, like I don't know, right? If this is going to be the next thing. But the only thing that I'm certain of is that our medium, our platforms that we use today will change. So I might as well be good at some of the emerging technologies that are out there. Because the moment that time arises that this starts becoming the normal medium, then at least I'm ahead of the game. And you wouldn't believe how happy I am, right? <laughs> like all the movement that's happening right now with AI. I mean, I've definitely built a career out of it. So it's great. The one item too is just the excitement really of how it's always bigger than what you think it's going to be. Right. Like that's one of the things I always tell people. And it's definitely way bigger than what I thought it was going to be. I mean, just even being able to use AI to then generate images. I mean, I definitely didn't think of that. I knew it was a possibility. But if you like once you start seeing it in action, you can start talking about a magic trick. Right. But when you start seeing that magic trick actually happen, you're just like standing up and applauding. So that's what I've been doing with a lot of like the different spaces in AI, uh, which has been neat. The one thing that I would say I was also very excited about is just really the combination of a lot of the emerging tech, right? Like, so for the most part, if you think about how the different platforms today, like back in the day, people would call. And then also back in the day, people do desktop self-servicing. They would go to like a website using a desktop computer. Then they would do it to a laptop and then they do it on the mobile phone. But then the mobile phone was a little different. So they started creating mobile apps. So at the end of the day, right, like our customers and clients would always want to have their preferred channel of phone calls that were reduced and it started moving to digital. Didn't mean that there was no longer a need for calls. It goes the same with the desktop solution, websites, et cetera. Not because everyone moved to mobile means, oh, we should shut down desktop. No, that's not what that means. We're actually just creating more and more channels for our clients to then pick and choose from, right? Whatever it is that fits the moment, it just needs to be there. So going into that, I know around like 2010, 2011, there's always been this sentence, right? That everyone's been saying, especially with the rise of the mobile apps is, oh, there's an app for that. Oh, you need a flashlight? Oh, there's an app for that. You need, you know, a spell check item. There's an app for that. I do think that's where AI is going to be. I do think that eventually there's going to be an AI for that. And so a lot of these folks, right, and this is just kind of, you know, if I can play a little bit of Nostradamus today, right, I do believe that there's, for every single organization, the race isn't necessarily about, oh, who can get the best AI technology. I do think that it's, the race is not just about, oh, having the best 
let's say if we focus on conversational AI, it's not just about who has the best large language modeling solution, but it's also number two, who can regulate it? Because you don't want your large language solution just spitting out nonsense and there's no fact checking in there. And then number three, being able to apply controls to it. What are the boundaries? What are the guardrails to this large language modeling? So it's not just about the tech, but it's also about the application of it. So I do think that organizations, an organization for me, so like, let's say me having my own company, my AI will function and work best within the realm of my company. And it goes the same if, let's say, I applied it in KeyBank. The rules that I have for my AI doesn't necessarily mean that is what I want to bring into KeyBank because KeyBank is a bank. It's not a tech company like what I have. So if it is a bank, it'll follow within the same guardrails and regulatory items, right? That it is within the same umbrella today with the new technology of AI and how that fits into the picture. So it's very neat because every single company and person will have their own twist of what AI is and it will fit their lives. I do believe that in the future, people will have their own AI and it almost sounds very futuristic here, but this is kind of what I see. I do see that every single individual will almost have their own AI that they train, they nurture almost like a baby. And it becomes almost representative of them, right? A good person, a hardworking individual who's working on AI will be able to create efficiency in their lives. Wherein on the other side of the spectrum, a bad actor may be able to create multiple algorithms or protocols in their lives that's now automated that allow them to do bad things. So I do think that there's definitely a lot of use cases here, just the same as when mobile devices came to life, right? A lot of people have started using mobile devices in both good and bad ways. So I think it's going to be the same and I think it's a very exciting time. Sounds very exciting. I mean, you've mentioned quite a bit about conversational AI there. So I just wanted to ask what specifically you're working on with conversational AI at the moment, maybe at KeyBank or other developments like that. Cool. Um, so for KeyBank, one of the items that we're very proud of is really MyKey. That is the virtual assistant that we, it's an external facing virtual assistant that we have on the mobile app. I do think that, you know, without diving into it too much, it's a little bit different because one of the items that it focuses on is being able to reduce steps or really go into that mode of a client going in there, asking a question or giving it the intent of what it is that they want to do, being able to understand that and then either do it for the person or take the person to the correct experience. And if you think about Sometimes when we do over-inform and we do create, if you're within the boundaries of a four corners of a screen, you can only really show so much, right? You can only, and sometimes what ends up happening is we over-show and then it becomes a very complicated user experience. The thing that I do love about MyKey is that it simplifies. And I do think that a lot of the chatbots and some of the other projects that I do work on outside that has always been my focus is that 
how can I decomplicate things? How can I simplify things? How can I make things faster, more efficient, and deliver this to my customer right now versus later? But then also at the same time, if you think about it, and right now we're doing a podcast, a lot can be said. And when I'm saying things, Paul, like you're processing that at a much faster rate than you can do point and click on, right? So, and that's kind of like one of the gestures that we used to do, right? When those came out, it was point and click. I think when it comes to conversational AI, it's just going to be ask and receive because you're just asking and you're receiving the response or content that you need. And it's almost very similar to if I ask my wife, hey, like, where's the remote? I get the response back, right? <laughs> I get the response that, hey, you're probably sitting on it. <laughs> you know, but, um, so it's actually really neat and interesting that, you know, we can go ahead and deliver that to customers and also in fintech, being able to deliver that to a bank like KeyBank. And in terms of like looking into the future again, I mean, do you see a future where all kind of digital interactions are fully automated? Because at the moment, talking to chatbots, some people might have some quite niche questions to ask them, right? And then it might not give you the answer that you need. Then you end up getting passed along to a human customer service representative, right? But could you foresee a future where you're having a customer service conversation and it's able to react to these kind of niche questions and people don't even know that they're actually chatting to a chatbot? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, definitely. I do think that. So if you look at how companies have changed because of what their customers or clients have asked them, I think if you look at that behavior, that has completely changed within like the past 20 years. So if you look at how businesses just dictated what their clients needed, because it offered that company a great margin of profit, right? They would just give that and sell that to their clients. And then at some point when Web2 came out and now clients are able to then post what they want, do surveys and actually berate a company by saying they suck because they don't offer X, Y, and Z, then that's when that shift started, right? Like the companies all of a sudden started listening to their customers. Like every company has a Facebook, a Instagram account, a LinkedIn account, because now it's dropping lines with bait of being able to then identify what is it my customers need today or what is it that my clients need today so then I can best serve them because then I'd be able to steal them from my competitors, right? Like, so the idea there is now there's been that shift of being able to, okay, now understand your clients and customers. But now I think where the future is and where it's ahead, and I think you mentioned it based off of like the niche asks that certain people have, I do think that it goes both ways. One is that a customer or a client actually needs to be more educated in what it is that they do in this new platform. I do believe that the asks have been simple and the asks have been you know, somewhat generic because that is the beginning of it, right? Like when you are learning a bike, you're literally just trying to balance, right? You're just trying to get out of training wheels and you're just trying to balance the bike. You're just trying to pedal one foot over the other and you're just trying to go to a straight line. And then when you get a little bit better, you start becoming faster, but then the rider's imagination is also its own limit. So if you're better, right? If your 2.0 is cap at, oh, the way that I can improve is go faster, then that's about the best that you can do. And that I think right now that's what 
customers or clients or people that are using ChatGPT today, that's about what they're seeing is that it's just about going faster. Wherein there are other people then start seeing, oh, wait a second, now I can do jumps. Now I can do 480s on this. Now I can like jump my bike on a handrail, start gliding down, shoot down to like a ramp, and then, I don't know, do like three backflips and then land on like a half pipe, right? So again, those are kind of like the things of, uh, and this is where the human element, right, is still very important. And a lot of people think, oh, AI is going to replace people and all of that. No, like, I mean, like, the calculator, right, never replaced a mathematician. It allowed a mathematician to focus on more important things, especially if it's something that a calculator can handle. So the advancement that we've had in science came with the part of, oh, assistive technologies. And that's really what AI is. I don't think with all the innovation that we've done that we haven't necessarily replaced humans. If anything, it created displacement. Like folks who were assembling cars before and that now it's being done automatically, we've displaced those humans to now managing the machines that assemble cars. They you teach, you elevate yourself, right? And allow yourself to be the next phase of what you need to be in the world that is now. You know, so I do think that folks kind of fear that, oh my God, AI is going to replace me or replace my job. Oh, let's say I'm a copywriter and AI will replace me in my job, et cetera. No, that's absolutely not true. What you will be replaced with though is a person who uses AI, you know, so <laughs> be more afraid of that than like AI replacing you because that will never happen. <laughs> Nice, nice. Well, it's just uh, yeah, something else to fear then, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I mentioned this at the top of the show, but you've also secured a number of your own patents in the AI and augmented and virtual reality space as well. So can you tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah. So there's actually like a few favorites that I have, right? So there's this one where, again, it blends a whole bunch of different technologies. So one of my favorites is the car buying experience. So there is this patent that we did where you are able to put in your, create a profile, or imagine being able to create a profile, being able to create your budget, being able to create, okay, here are the cars that I'm interested in. Here's my budget. And this is my all-in budget. This includes the payment for the car, the payment for insurance, my gas bill, oil changes, everything within the life of that car, including my life and my financials, all embedded into one. So what now ends up happening is you would then be able to take that app with you. And let's say you're at a cafe and you're sitting down and a car parks in front of you. And you're like, oh my God, like this is actually a car that I do like. So then what you do is you pop out that app and you point it to that car. And that based off of who you are and based off of the information that you've given, it'll populate data and visualize it for you while looking at that car, whether one, you can afford this car or not, which is the most important question. And then two, if you can, then start really pointing out, hey, like, what are your buying options? One, you know, do you have enough money in your account for down payment or what is the benefit for you for doing a down payment? Number two, maybe connecting with certain bank partners. So if let's say KeyBank or a TD or a different bank, had partners in that area, dealers that were their customers or anything like that, they'd be able to point out to the closest dealer that is selling this car and for how much it is and start doing comparative or competitive analysis of 
okay, here are the dealers and here are the prices and here's what one dealer offers and this is what the other dealer offers. So you may pay for a car that's maybe over like $200 more, but then they provide you with lifetime oil changes. So you know that, oh, the $200 will be well paid for within like, you know, after three years or after two years. And so then you know that, oh, every oil change that you get then is only profit. So again, like it's a great way to be able to visualize and materialize all of that. But then also at the same time, if you're looking for loans or buying options, and let's say you don't have enough money, have the bank that obviously has licensed this, have that bank be able to run through their APIs and see if they can pre-approve that client alone for the car that they do want, because we already know the value. We already know like all of this information and be able to utilize AI and a little bit of machine learning to combine all of that and give the client what they need at a contextual level, right? Based off of 500 or a thousand points of information that key bank or any other bank would be able to gather and spit out context just like that. Right. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I like the idea of being able to point it at cars and my phone telling me that I'm too poor to afford cars. Yeah. It's a very neat and it goes the same with there's a couple in play. I believe some of them are like in patent pending, but there's one that is pretty cool because it's really about like event management in AI. So this other patent that we did was really around conversational AI and being able to understand all the events that kind of like happen all around this person, whether externally or internally within the financial institution. So I know everyone talks about omnichannel and to me, the item that I keep telling folks is omnichannel is like a ghost. Everyone talks about it, but only if you have truly seen it. Fortunately for me, I actually created almost this like omnichannel solution that we did in the US when I was working for TD. So one of like the things that I saw when I started going through it is that you'd be able to pull events in real time of what is happening. Yeah, without giving too much detail or mechanics into it, I'm just going to lay the high level here, but being able to pull Every single event that a person does in the store, that's on you know, the store channel, in the call, on uh, the phone channel, on the digital channel, but also including other external pieces that this person has connected to. Now, let's say that has like happened and I go into the chat bot. It can then ask me if, hey, like, how was my visit in the branch that I walked out of? Was I happy? Was I not? You know, because if anyone left any context in the store that I wasn't happy, I'd be able to then say, hey, that customer didn't leave happy. So then let's maybe the next time they engage with us, be able to utilize AI to do customer retention. And then now the next time you open that chat bot, it'll then tell you, hey, actually, you know, we are giving you a Yeti mug for absolutely nothing. And like, again, contextualize that and coincidentally create instances of them now grabbing events of what was past and be able to generate new events in this person's life within your company as a customer and be able to then generate, okay, what is this person susceptible to? Or would they pick the Yeti mug over, let's say a handbag or anything like that? And how many of our, all our customers do that? Because then if a lot of people pick the Yeti mug, so outside of the fact that you're retaining a 
client and the customer, that's a lot of operational cost savings already, but then also is good for the business. You can also then manage everything that you do in your company, actually attach a value to it. And you're not just doing and creating you know, a lot of this really, this solution, this AI event management tool really contextualizes and creates a lot of the intangibles into tangibles. And so then the business actually knows exactly what it is that they are investing in. This sounds really exciting and really exciting times for banking as well with all this happening in the, in the background. So um, I feel like I could continue asking you questions about this and digging into more use cases for the next hour or so. But just briefly before we move on, I just want to quickly check in on the, the metaverse always seems to hog a lot of the headlines around the kind of VR space in banking. And there's a lot of talk about banks, yes. you know, working on presence there. But I mean, what's your take on that on the future of that at the moment? I think the metaverse, and I know a lot of folks just don't necessarily believe in it because of layoffs happening, especially when it comes to, let's call it the winner of crypto, which then now involves blockchain, which also then now, you know, because all of Web3, right, is all interconnected. So if one, if one leg fails, right, the other legs feel it. So I really do believe in the metaverse and as crazy as that is, or maybe I'm biased because I'm a gamer, I really do believe that, well, one, I do believe that gamers will be the first to adopt into the metaverse world because one, they already have, and then two, it's the easiest because if you look at the commerce when it comes to gaming and Paul, I don't know about you, but I'm a huge Call of Duty guy. So if you just look at the commerce, right, that goes into Call of Duty, and being able to have credits in there, you're already trading real money into then credits that is consumable within Call of Duty. Now, all you're doing, right, when it comes to the metaverse, et cetera, which has plenty of applications, it doesn't necessarily only have to revolve around money, but based off of like the standards that let's say Decentraland or Sandbox has created, obviously there is a currency within that world that then people can make plenty more of by engaging with other people, et cetera, by buying, selling, and doing activities within the environment. But to me, the simplest thing to it is a lot of people love to engage in things. A lot of people already love playing games. It's literally just creating a little bit of version of that and having an interaction model within. So a lot of folks are already engaged in that. So I don't think that, oh, would people engage in it? Should a lot of companies invest in it? I think the question is really should be more for companies that invest in it, right? Like what is the goal? Because if your goal is to oh, just create a digital version of let's say your store or your whatever existing branding you have now, I mean, then why don't you just focus your investment on the existing branding and the existing stores that you have now? I need to create a metaverse for people to visit you and store. that actually almost doesn't make sense. What you need to do, right? And that's kind of like the thing I tell folks is when you are creating a metaverse for your customers, for your clients, really figure out what is it that you are doing today that you can bring into the metaverse. But you need to be able to understand first how people are interacting within the metaverse, which then introduces a problem. How many executives do you know, Paul, that you know have actually engaged or have profiles in a metaverse? And so that's problem number one. A lot of executives and a lot of folks talk big on metaverse, et cetera, but they haven't even been in them. So 
how can you know? So it's almost like someone who's read all the books about bike riding and is now going to teach you how to ride a bike. It doesn't make sense because if you haven't ridden a bike and actually ridden a bike, then you don't know how to ride a bike. You know, so to me, the way I'm looking at it is you can conceptualize or create theories on how a business would run in the metaverse. But if you haven't played in the metaverse or haven't interacted in the metaverse or have an understanding of how people actually use the metaverse, then the best you have is taking something that is functioning already in the physical world and hoping that it would work in the metaverse because you're thinking, oh, the interaction models will be the same where it's in fact very different. Again, I'm a huge believer of the metaverse. I'm quite bullish on that. So one of the items that I do tell folks is really when it comes to metaverse, one, I do think that will come into play in the future. Do I think that will be the primary platform? I don't think so. I don't think that it'll be a primary platform, but it will be a preferred channel. And there's definitely monetization opportunities when it comes to the metaverse. And people haven't necessarily thought about that yet because not a lot of people have exposed to it. Not a lot of business people have, you know, like a lot of consumers and people like play Fortnite and play Roblox right now. And eventually those folks will enter the business. Eventually those folks will become managers and executives. And when they do, that's actually when it will start making sense. For a lot of folks right now that haven't touched the metaverse, of course, it's not going to make sense. The thing that I keep telling folks is eventually the audience will change, right? It's just how it is. Business is cyclical when it comes to how clients are. If you look at how, again, things have changed, just like what I've said before, from going into a branch, calling people, going into websites, those were the primary channels before. But it doesn't mean that we shut them down because they're, they are no longer the primary channels. We need to continue providing our clients that and their preferred channel. And I do think that the metaverse will eventually become one, like, you know, as more and more people invest in it. Uh, to close out this episode of the podcast, we have our now infamous fintech jail. So this is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword, or trend that our guest has seen or heard enough of. Then debate whether it deserves a place in the jail or if it's already there, whether it needs an extended sentence. Or, of course, our guest can argue to free one of the previously incarcerated terms. So, Miguel, what buzzword do you want to hand a sentence to then today? I would say it's become a buzzword because then people miss the context on it. So I think one of the words that I would put in fintech jail would be meta in reference to the metaverse, not the company. So if you're saying meta and you're referring to the company, that's good on you. But I've definitely heard a lot of people saying, well, what are we going to do in meta? Or, hey, here are the ideas that we can do in meta to then grab X, Y, and Z. And I'm just thinking in my head, Meta is a company. It's not the Metaverse. You know, now people create nicknames here and there, et cetera. But I would say Mark Zuckerberg, right, spent a tremendous amount of money in making sure that they do have the quote unquote official branding. And obviously it is working. But I would say the word that I would put in there is Meta in reference to the Metaverse. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I guess, in, I guess in your line of work, do you have this come up quite a bit then? Do you find yourself correcting people or do you keep it all kind of internally? <laughs> well, I definitely choose my moments, right? Like, so if it is something where, oh, the, just the discussion is a lot more important than 
almost like create or correcting someone because it bothers my ears. I tend to like just stick with the topic and keep going with it. But I just thought that when anytime people mention meta in reference to the metaverse, I just often find it funny because when you are talking to people, there's definitely two things, right? Meta, the company and the metaverse. So if you are talking to someone who is completely aware of a lot of things happening in that space, you may confuse them and it creates confusion. And I do think that reducing confusion, and I think you've already heard me say it in my initial point here is that I love simplifying things. So if we can stick to one word, that means I think it'll be good. And I know it wasn't, right? Like Meta, like the company, I do think that they're a forerunner in all of the things that they do. I know, oh my God, there's like layoffs, et cetera. That's what happens, right? When you're in tech, you definitely overinvest in a belief in an idea. And let's call that your portfolio. I do think Meta is ahead on not the technology of the metaverse, but being able to monetize on it. And that's, again, like a totally different game. And it's not just oh, like building like that stack of amazing technology. I do think that they're going to be the ones that will be able to businessify that aspect of it. But anyway, yeah, I would say, uh, again, another conversation <laughs> on that all, but I would say, yeah, like a meta in reference to the metaverse would be my pick. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I do usually ask what the replacement word might be, but I guess in this case, it's just be lazy and say the whole word, right? As opposed yeah, to exactly. Yeah. Just, if, you're refer if you're referencing the metaverse, just say the metaverse, yeah. right? Or it'd say, I don't know, right? Like, I don't think you can create, I don't know, like something else, right? That isn't a company name. Because again, meta, I do believe that, yeah, metaverse, that'll be their cream of the crop. But I do know that they're going to be offering so much more than that. I'm a huge fan of like the stuff that they are doing because it's very bullish. And I really do think that if you want to be ahead in this game, it's not about like being on par with your competitors. It's about outrunning them and leapfrogging them. So yeah, no, I think that the company did very well in that. Excellent. Yeah, I guess if we decided to change the name of the metaverse as well, that might make Zuckerberg a bit angry as well. So yeah. <laughs> Exactly. But yeah, again, I think, yeah, like, I think a different name to it, you know, might help out. But yeah, I would say just say metaverse. I think then everyone's going to know what you're talking about. That sounds good. Yeah, I will quite happily chuck that into the jail then. I'll make sure <laughs> to put out a, a caveat that we're not referring to the company, but just exactly. in short for metaverse. Yeah, so I'm actually really happy that you are the fintech jail warden, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's the first time I've been told that, actually. Oh, yeah. There you go. Like, you now hold the official position of FinTech Jail Warden. Nice. nice. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's all we have time for this episode. Thanks, of course, to Miguel for joining me. As for FinTech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at FinTech Futures, and, of course, on LinkedIn. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes. Thanks as well to Arama for editing this podcast. You can check them out at arama.tv. As always, thank you very much for your support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech, but until then, goodbye. Goodbye.